Welcome to another Christian Education National Podcast. Another episode where we bring you the audio of a presentation that has and hopefully will continue to encourage Christian educators. May it be an encouragement to you in your work for His Kingdom. Thank you, thank you Michelle and it's really, really great to be, be with you. So before we start, I think I better just give you a little bit more than just this old Sri Lankan lady. So, <clears throat> probably can read all about it in the app, but I'm 72, what do I know about an app? Apples maybe, as a sexologist. But, you know, the point is, what a great beginning. You know, let's have all the magic, and now we'll have this Sri Lankan sexologist speak about gender. It all seems like magic sometimes anyway. So... <laughs> I was born in Sri Lanka in the tea plantations of Sri Lanka, did my medical studies in Sri Lanka, was teaching in the medical school there, and then did my postgraduate study in Hawaii. Now that was in 1980, before most of you were born, and I, at that time, I was actually studying with one of the world's best known people in gender, a Professor Milton Diamond. And I was actually helping out at his transsexual clinics. So there's nothing really new about this whole issue that we are dealing with, but there's a big difference that when we were doing the transsexual clinics in 1980, we were never seeing any children, and very, not even teenagers. We were mainly dealing with adults, so we'll discuss this more. But I just wanted to say it up front, that when I was in Hawaii, I was worshiping in a wonderfully evangelical Baptist church and going to university, and it was like a really wonderful, almost like an eye-opener for me, because at that time I was studying sex, and I realized, as we heard this morning, of the wonderful better narrative that the Word of God gives us about sexuality and about gender. So that is what I really hope you'll get out of our 50 minutes or so together, that whatever the culture may be throwing at us together, we, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, have the better story, the best story. And we should not be ashamed or afraid to speak it to our children because they are hungry for a better direction. So that's my hope for all of us today. So let's start off by going back to the Word of God and looking at this better narrative when it comes to gender. The Bible is very clear. We are people made in the image of God. Therefore, that immediately tells us that we are all created in the image of God. So whether we are any type of sexual orientation or identity, we are all precious beings in God's sight. It's not about us and them. We all are created in the image of God. We are embodied. I think that is something our children really need to understand. Bodies are good. In 1 Corinthians 6, I tell, when I talk to young people, I talk about your body honoring God with your body, your body belonging to Jesus. Your body is the home of the Holy Spirit. And I love Psalm 139. When I speak to young people, I say, you know, King David said, you know, you knit me in my mother's womb, and don't you ever think that mommy and daddy were knitting. 
you know, just go home and talk to mom and dad about that orgasm they had when you were being knit. But God knew you. And that is the only identity you ever need. That awesome, that wonder that we talked about this morning of knowing that God knows you. And therefore, your body is created good. And this embodiment and this union with Christ is extremely important for our children. Then again, going back to the Bible, when God said, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them. That beautiful complementarity. See, I'm a sexologist, and ask me over lunchtime if you want to know more about what that is. Anyone? New career? I'm looking for people to take over from my 78-year-old career. And you know, that beautiful male-female. I mean, you know, you, you, those of you who are teaching biology, aren't you just excited about genitals? Because God creates them so beautifully complementary. When I tell young people, I say, you know, like penises, vaginas, these are beautiful. God made them for a purpose. There is a pattern and a purpose that God does. And puberty. Why is it that many young people, when I speak to like years six, seven, eight, and you say puberty, they go, ew, awful. Why? This is God's wonderful gift of complementary and growth from young people into older people. And I, we have to bring back this wonder and this beauty of the body and the development of the body. And then, the consistently through the Bible, the binary gender analogy. We need to take them through the story, as we heard in the morning, the stories of the Old Testament. Ezekiel, um, Hosea, in Matthew 19, when Jesus points right back to Genesis story. Be unafraid in sharing these stories. Ephesians 5, Revelation, marriage, it is a mystery. It is like Christ and his church. Share these stories. Talk to the children about them. And finally, let our children understand the peace and harmony that comes when this unity of complementarity happens. Let's talk to them about marriage and the beautiful and unity and procreation and recreation that happens in marriage. So this is just the beginning. Give our children a clear understanding of the biblical narrative of both the beauty and the wonder of male and female and of the development through life. Now, let's get into some kind of nitty-gritty. Now, when we talk about the science of gender and sexuality, we talk of four aspects. We talk of biological sex. Biological sex is what you notice when you jumped out of the shower today in your hotel and there was a full-length mirror. <laughs> for, the, <clears throat> for those of you young and, you know, tight and taut ones, you went, wow! And for some of us who are like 72, it was like, ooh, look where that is today. But whatever it is, that's what you saw. That's your biology, your natal, your birth sex. 
Then we have gender expression, which means how are you living it out? What was the clothes you reached for once you looked out, looked at yourself? How did you, did you, you know, what did you put on? Perfume or aftershave? All those things were like, how do you behave? How do you look around at the people around you? You're not looking at their genitals, but you're making an assessment as to male or female. That is gender role, behavior, expression. And then we have identity, this thing that is talked about, which is a bit like, you know, the magic we saw a little while ago. It is a, how do you identify, what is your feelings, and this is the word we need to hold on to, the feeling of who you are. Sexual orientation is who are you attracted to, what's the erotic attraction. And these four, then, are what we study about. Now, when there is a good congruence as created by God, we see that male and female, oops, the male and female clearly coming together. So there is this binary pattern with the congruence, there is an ordered creation. This is the good order of creation. But what happens in our world today? Today's culture of trans-orthodoxy and gender ideology, I'm sure you're familiar with the LGBTQIA++ up to 70 on Facebook, but you may not be familiar with the term that I like, which is SOGI, or I like to call it SOGI, which is sexual orientation and gender identification. The four aspects are now disengaged, and within this disengaged quadrants, we have a choice. So, assigned gender's biology is now called assigned sex. Biology, you will be told, is not destiny. It is assigned. It's as if the doctor or the midwife said, oh, we've had a lot of boys today, haven't we? Maybe we'll assign this one a woman. That's a kind of thinking. It's not destiny, biology, and we'll talk a little bit more about this. What about, you know, nothing is any binary, everything is a spectrum, and you get to choose. There are people who just say they want their babies to grow up without any kind of male or female, so they say we've had a baby, not a baby. So babies are being born now, and you can Personal desire is what reigns. So how you express your gender, no longer ruled by anything. You choose androgynous is andromale, gyne, female. You can be anything in between. You know, choose what you'd like to be in terms of gender role. And you can be attracted to anyone, and you can just choose what you want. This is our culture today, and I'll tease out each of these a little bit more so we can understand it. Because you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're going to speak to children, to young people who are living in this LGBTQIA soggy world, we need to be informed. And this is why I'm giving you this snapshot of current research. So when we talk about gender identity, and I'll explain those terms more, but we need to understand that everything that is in red, now stay with me here, everything that's in red is a 
brain issue. So their feelings, I, how I behave, how, who I am attracted to, how I feel who I am, these are brain issues. The created goodness of our body is now being subordinated to emotions. So emotions are determinative, and the body, as God created it, is now considered plastic. So let's now tease each of those out very much in a simplistic manner. Each of them is extremely complex, but I'm trying to simplify this. Those of you who are biologists will really get this one. Let's talk about being embodied, male or female. Biological sex is formed through a complex, multi-stage development in the womb of the mother. Now, I'm going to make a statement here that is extremely important in today's culture, where we are told that there isn't any binary sex, it's all fluid. Sex is determined at conception, at that moment of being knit in your mother's womb. I tell young people, mommy didn't know for six weeks till she started puking all over. But God knew. God knew. At that moment when daddy's sperm, whether it, if daddy's sperm was a Y, then we had the XY combination, which is now a boy chromosome combination. And if daddy's sperm was an X and went, whoa, I got here first, then you have XX, which is girl. Now, from that moment, your sex has been determined at conception. It can be observed visually before birth by ultrasound, and it is only confirmed when the baby is born. It is not as if a baby is sort of some ambiguous thing that uh, comes out the vagina and then is kind of assigned a gender. It has already been determined. So now what happens? So we all start with a sexed cell. And now every one of us Every one of your cells is sex. So if you all scratch yourself and a few cells fall down, those cells will bear an XX or an XY in them. That's how exciting it is. I hope you're catching the excitement here. So what happens? So let's follow this through. Now, if you have a Y chromosome, then by, by nature of something called an SRY, you get a testes developing. If you don't have a Y chromosome, you have an ovaries or two ovaries developing. If the testes secretes testosterone, which most times it does, you get the tubes inside the body. Now we're talking six to seven weeks in the uterus, developing into boy genitals. Now, we all start off, you'll never look at a microphone the same way again, but that's okay, with one set of tubes, not two. Get rid of that one. One set. In the first few weeks, there is a rudimentary one set. Now, when testosterone acts on that, you get male genitals. If there is no testosterone, the same set of tubes become female genitals. Now, that is very important because in our culture today, we hear things like you can have functional male and female genitals, not 
possible. It's not possible. So if there's no testosterone, there's female genitals. Now, therefore, we need to be clear. What can happen then? Now, this process, which seems so simple when I said it, is actually very complex. And therefore, sometimes this neat, clear male-female pattern can be disrupted. It's a disruption. And we get what we call a disorder of sex development. Get that word. It's a disorder of sex development. Commonly, the term we use is intersex. Now, it is a disorder, and it's about one in 5,000 births will have something where there is a disruption. Quite often, it represents itself, or it presents itself as what we call ambiguous genitalia, ambiguous. In other words, not either like a clitoris that is slightly enlarged or a small penis or something that you go, you can't be quite sure till you look at the chromosomes and determine what it is. It's a lot more complex than I'm telling you, but this is a rare condition. However, in schools as big as many of you are in, it is possible that you can have children who are intersex. And what we need to be helping our children understand is, yes, it is difficult, but this still is your good body that God creates. And therefore, helping them to navigate those feelings that come with it. So that is about the biology. Now, there are many, many conditions that fit into this disorder of sex development, but it is a disorder. It is not a proof of non-binary sex. You with me here? Because there is a disorder, is no proof that it, it is not a binary pattern. There is binary and things that go wrong. So, the word intersex is often used to mean there is male, female, and a third sex. Wrong. Intersex is just another word for a disorder of sex development. So, two, even if there's two points you take away, that one set of tubes, therefore you cannot have functional male and female, and in the rare condition that you do have a developmental disorder, intersex is not a third sex. So, Let's move on to our second category, and that was what is gender roles? Now, this is probably the most malleable or flexible that we are talking about. This is how do we behave. Gender expression, gender role, largely culturally sort of formed and culturally informed, but, but we have sufficient research evidence to say that there is some biological basis for at least some of the variations between male and female. Some kind of really old research where they put like little boys in one room and little girls in another room and they gave the boys Barbie dolls and they gave the girls Tonka trucks to play with and after a while the girls were saying mommy truck, daddy truck, baby truck and the boys were like turning one leg of Barbie and shooting each other with them and sort of you know <laughs> there is some biology and this is also played out in a condition called 
congenital adrenal hyperplasia, CAH, in which condition, say, little girls in the womb are, due to various reasons, subjected to higher levels of testosterone. And what we see is that these girls do grow up with more masculine feelings and masculine activities, and they have a higher level of same-sex attraction, and now they say even transgender feelings. So it's important that we recognize that, yes, there is culture, but hey, we are created complementary. And this created complementary means also that there is something in our brain that makes us male and female. But the question is, we need to ask ourselves that there is some sameness. We've already talked about it. We are all made in the image of God. We all find our identity in Christ. And yet, there is a male-female complementarity even when it comes to behavior. So the questions we ask ourselves then is that, what does this mean? Does it mean that we need rigid stereotypes of this is what, you know, the six-pack of the male that I've shown you there? Is there a rigid, this is how it should be? Or are we able to look beyond that into biblical role models that provide our children now the flexibility so is it acceptable for a boy to like to do girl things or for a girl to like to do masculine activities? Whatever you may as a culture think that is. I grew up wanting to be very boy and I come back and I was, you know, if my mother had actually followed up on what I wanted to do, I would have been Patrick. So the point is that the reality is, are we able if a boy wants to do girl things, play with dolls, maybe even wear a pink tutu, does it make him less a boy? If a girl wants to fix a car with that, does it make her less a girl? You know, look to biblical models. You know, there was this young man who played the harp and was dancing with the girls, kind of in his, not maybe underwear, but clothes, and, you know, had his bestie as a guy, and, you know, today King David might have even been called transgender. And there was this gorgeous girl, you know, in Judges, my favorite girl in the Bible, Jael. Don't you just love her? You know, she had this guy who was running away and this foreign king, and she invited him into her tent and gave him a drink. And then when he was asleep, took the tent peg and put it right through his temple. She knew some anatomy. <laughs> that was the weakest part where you could get into the brain anyway. You know, she was a great, strong woman in the Bible. Just don't go camping with her. But, <laughs> I mean, it, it tells us the Bible gives us strong role models. Deborah, Jael, Ruth, we talked about in the morning. Let's talk to our children. Let's give our children that ability to be who they are without thinking that behavior is identity. But that's the message they're getting. If you're a little boy who likes to do girl things, then you know what? You're a girl. Or if you're a little girl who likes to do boy things and dress like a boy, you are a boy. That's the message. Many of our, we're talking four and five-year-olds are hearing and believing and parents are affirming. We need to be aware of this. This is not so. Behavior is not 
identity. Okay, let's move on to the big elephant in the room, and that is gender identity. Gender identity, as I've already said, is that person's basic feelings. So feelings are in your brain. A feeling, a conviction even, of being a boy, man, or a girl, a woman. Now, what I want to start off by saying, what is it not? Because, you know, all these things are now called gender dysphoria, and I'll explain what gender dysphoria is. Dysphoria is distress. So all this is called gender identity disorders or distress. It is not someone who likes the activities of the other sex. We've talked about it already. Some statistics say there's about 60 to 70% of little children who actually like being doing things of the other gender. As I said, I was one of those. It is not someone, especially we are talking children here, it's not a child who likes being or even wants to be the other sex. Again, I was one of those. I was growing up as a conservative Christian Tamil in Sri Lankan tea plantations. I was being brought up for a conservative arranged marriage. I escaped, but never mind. And, <clears throat> you know, my mom's ashes are probably jumping around in the urn even now when she thinks of what I'm talking about. But the reality is that I was being taught cooking and cleaning and washing while my brothers were out there playing in the garden and climbing the mango trees and things. Why would I want to be a girl? I wanted to be a boy. I pleaded with my mother and said, please, I want to be a boy. Can I be a boy? And she'll say, that's very nice, dear. Now bring your dolls and let's play. So the, the reality is we were, I was allowed to grow in my skin and encouraged to be who I was. And when I reached close to puberty, I thought, oh, boys are nice. Who wants to be a boy? I'd rather play with them. And so, <laughs> you know, you, you grow out of it. So. It's not, and the third point is interesting, it's not someone who is attracted to someone their same sex. Now, you're all sitting there going, of course, I know that it's a same-sex attraction. Aha, now, lesbians who are a little butch, or guys, children who are effeminate, are being sort of taught the ideology that maybe you're an effeminate boy who likes boys. You know what? You probably are a girl. And you're this butch girl who likes girls. You know what? You are a boy, I think. Have you considered that? You know, we talked about looking for your authentic self. You've got to find yourself. Look into yourself. Maybe you're not a lesbian. You actually are a trans person. And we need to be so aware of this, too. And it is not, and this is too very important, everything is very important, uh, teenagers who dislike their own body. This is a condition called rapid onset gender dysphoria, which I'll talk about in a moment. And this is important for us to recognize. You see, many of us will, may remember a time when we were not particularly impressed with our pubertal changes. Although I did say they are beautiful. We need to be teaching ourselves the beauty of puberty and teaching our children that beauty. But many people aren't particularly in, you know, impressed by those. And more so today, 
you get into the online and you put in there, I don't like my breasts. You get into a, I don't, you get into a chat room that says you probably are a boy then. This is what's happening to our young people. Teenagers who don't put in just normal teenage angst about body changes is resulting in kids being challenged to think this is who you are. You are transgender. So what are these terms? What is it then? Transgender, and again we need to understand this, is any person whose gender identity or expression is in any way different from the cultural and social expectations of their biological body. So any variation, all those 70 plus on Facebook. So it's an umbrella term. Dysphoria, gender dysphoria, is where there is a marked incongruence between brain feelings and what your body is, and it is so significant that they really want to do something. So what we need to remember here is that not all transgender young people are necessarily dysphoric. I hope you get this. There'll be a lot of kids who are just exploring and would say things or, you know, even actually feel that they are some polygender or omnigender or whatever, or they choose some combination, but actually they don't want to do anything. So we don't get too stressed about it. Now, the word transsexual, you might have heard, is the old term which we used for transgender people. Today we use the word trans men and trans women, and this too, I'm just going to tell you this because these are terms that are thrown around a lot. A trans man is somebody who's gone from being a woman to a man, and a trans woman is somebody who's come from being a man to a woman. I sort of look at even the faces I can think and thinking, okay, we remember all this. And so again, getting back to transgender, Remember I told you there's only 70? Now, even where there is a congruence between what your head tells you, your brain says you are, and your biology is congruence, that is, I think I'm a woman, and guess what? When I looked in the mirror this morning, that's what I was. That congruence is called cisgender. So what we considered normal is now one term in the plethora of choices. You see how we've sort of massaged this now? That what we considered clear binary is now one of the choices in the 31 flavors or whatever that you can mix and match. Okay, just quickly, how many then are there? as in transgender or gender dysphorics, you know what? We really don't know because it's, it's so difficult to count. Do you count the clinics? Do you count people who uh, fill in questionnaires? Best results, one in 4,000 to one in 50,000 people may be transgender. Now, one statistic I want to give you, and this is really probably the most disturbing. Number of children identifying as transgender is on the rise. In one clinic in UK called the Tavistock Gender Identity Development Service, over the last 10 years, they've had an over 1,000% increase of young boys, 
children being referred, and over 3,000 increase in referrals of children who are girls. This is how rapidly. And remember I said when I was working in 1980, we never saw any children. So this is the big tipping point here, children and adolescents. What is the causation? We have no clear this is what causes transgender or gender dysphoria. Maybe a complex interaction between biological, intrauterine hormone environment, genetics, and environment of expectation of gender roles and social milieu overlaid by our culture of individualistic choice. You know, there is no agreed science, and I've read everything I could possibly find, no scientific basis for a boy body and a girl brain, or a girl brain in a boy body, none. There is no clear science. Furthermore, diagnosis is self-diagnosis. There is no validated tool for diagnosis of transgender. So, very quickly, I just want to talk about two. One is early onset gender dysphoria. This is the increase of children being referred for gender identity problems. The criteria are complex. There's a whole dot points in the DSM-5, which is kind of the book for diagnosis. But the overarching thing there is that a child needs to be persistent, insistent, and consistent about their desire to change gender. Now, this is like four and five-year-old children. When my son, who's now a 43-year-old Presbyterian minister, was four years old, he was persistent, insistent, and consistent that he hated eating curry. But I fed him curry. He was persistent, insistent, and consistent. So, you know, those of us who have children, they can be persistent, insistent, and consistent about many things. And we don't do it. But if they are persistent, insistent, and consistent about changing their gender, we are asked to affirm it. And if we don't affirm it, you are the one who is at fault. This is where we need to be so careful because, because, Forget the ones who just like to cross-dress. Even the ones who actually fit into the persistent, consistent, insistent, if you let them live in their own skin, at least 80%, maybe even up to 95%, will accept their biology at puberty. What are we doing? We're causing a formation. It's children who, if allowed to develop, would accept. The powerful predictor of persisting in those feelings is early social transition or pre-puberty blockers. This is what we are doing to our children. So, we need to be very aware of this trend. You might have parents who come and say, my little girl or boy. Now, I'm not going to give you advice as teachers or principals. Those are things you need to get a lot of thought. But this is a scenario that you might likely see. What about teenagers? This so-called rapid onset gender dysphoria. A sudden desire to transition, mainly adolescent girls, from, you know, 
just they were normal girly girls, and suddenly they want to transition to be boys. In many schools that I visit, I would hear stories of this. Here's a typical stories you hear. Typically emerges after the girl, I'm saying girl because that's a communist, has spent a lot of time researching gender issues online, immersed in online transgender forums such as Reddit, Tumblr, YouTube, and there's an association between having a friend or multiple friends identifying as transgender, similarities of a social contagion, and frequently with other mental health conditions like autism or even borderline personality disorders. We need to ask ourselves, for some young adults, is this gender dysphoria possibly a maladaptive coping mechanism? That, you know, if I change my gender, everything will be all right, because that's what I'm being told in all those forums that I'm on. Then, of course, there's late-onset gender disorders, but I won't go there because we are talking mainly about children. Now, what about, let me just land on our, how our culture deals with it. What we are told is celebrate and affirm or be silenced. Now, that's just a page from Cosmopolitan. Laverne Cox is a trans woman. So if we take her genetics, she'll be XY, and she's a celebrated model. I didn't want to use Caitlyn Jenner because that is so yesterday. And Laverne Cox, <laughs> under that, you won't be able to read it, but it says the truth will set you free. You see, this is what we're seeing, a subversion of everything that is considered true and good. And we are all familiar with the sort of public you know, addressing anything biblical, public, especially when it comes to sexuality and of the Falao affair. But there are many, many others who have been held and persecuted, and I use that word deliberately, persecuted for speaking into the public square on issues of sexuality. I myself have had some interesting experiences. But what I want to say to you, it's not just Christians. It's anyone who dares to challenge the trans ideology. Secular researchers, now I have no time in to go into these, but I have these references. So if you get these on PDF later, the references are all listed. But I just want to point to you to the charming older man who looks kind of depressed at the end, Ken Zucker, who had very good reason to be depressed. I knew him when I was studying in 1980. He's a senior research scientist who actually was running a gender clinic in Toronto. And the idea, because he treated, he didn't say there should be no transition or you know, gender change at that time it was called. He didn't say that. He just said that for children, we should watch and wait, encouraging them to live in their skin till adolescence. For that, the ideologist said it was conversion therapy and had his clinic closed down. They had to go back and, you know, they didn't reinstate him, but he had a whole lot of money given to him after the legal fight. About 100 of us sexologists wrote 
a letter signed, but nothing, nothing. This is a hospital, a state whatever, listening to the ideologists against a senior researchers. And this Lisa Lippmann, who's the lady there, she wrote about rapid onset gender dysphoria. They almost got her sacked from university for daring to write about rapid onset gender dysphoria in teenagers, and I can go on with that. And it's not just that, it's feminists. Today, the feminists, especially lesbians, are really, really upset. And in fact, one paper I read, is this the erasure of lesbianism? Because any man who says, I am a woman, now has access to women's space. In a couple of months, I think now it's about a year ago, in Liverpool in UK, a feminist group were having a meeting about just that, you know, men's access to women's spaces. And they put up this billboard, which says, woman, the noun, to mean adult human female. That's a dictionary definition. That was censored, they had to take it down. Because today, it is hate speech to use a definition of what a woman or a man is. Because anyone can self-identify. This is the world we are bringing up our children in. And if you dare to question it, you're called a TERF, a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. So that's what happens if you dare to challenge it. Okay, deep breath, and let's talk about sexual orientation. There was a time when we thought this was a big deal. Now, for those of us who are speaking into the space of sex and gender, sexual orientation is actually simple to talk to because, again, it's important that we consider what is it not. I always like to do the what is it not. Our children especially need to understand that it is not about non-sexual intimate friendships or even crushes. Why? When I've spoken in one school, and I can't remember which one, so it doesn't matter, where a 12-year-old, not even 12, a year seven or eight-year-old came up to me and said, everyone in our class is bisexual. And I said, oh, really? Why do you say that? He said, we all love girls and we all love boys. And I said, wonderful, that's called friendships. <laughs> what have we done? What have we done that our children can't see what friendship is like? The stories, I mean, Jonathan and David is obvious, but read the list of friends that Paul had in all the epistles. Talk about Jesus and his friends, girls, men, women. Why? When a young girl, I think she must have been about 13, came up to me and said, I love my bestie. Oh, I guess I'm going to grow up to be a lesbian. Just because you love your best friend who's a girl, you're a lesbian? Why, why are we allowing this? Why aren't we teaching our children about the goodness of being created in the image of the Trinity, the image of the Trinity, which is besties from eternity to eternity, which is what I tell young people. That's what we are created for, good relationships, loving, other-focused, caring relationships. 
that's not sex. Having a crush on someone who's cute is not sexual. And adolescent experimentation. We live in a world where our children are being told, find out who you are. Experiment. When the 13-year-old girl, after one of the school talks I did, comes up to me and says, I told my friends that I have a boyfriend. And then they said, what do you mean you have a boyfriend? Have you tried lesbian sex yet? Have you tried? How do you know till you look and find that authentic who you are? That's what your children are being challenged to. And the research tells us that too, that during that time of development in today's cyber culture and peer pressure, a developmental fluidity from preteens even up to young adulthood is what we are seeing as the norm. It's not the settled what they are. Now, what is it? Now, same-sex sexuality, we need to clearly understand here, has at least three categories we need to explain and understand. The first is attraction. Who are you attracted to? Now, that is a desire. Desires are brain feelings. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we know that. We don't always live by our desires. And that immediately is countercultural to worldview. So, a desire, who are you attracted to? Then there is behavior. What who do you choose to be sexually intimate with? And how do you choose a label? At least these three categories where one is a desire and the other two are choice. And I haven't even put in here, if I was to be a sexologist, right? We like doing this. If I was to put you into a laboratory, let me just say it's a male, sorry, gentleman, and I wire up your penis in a thing that's called a penile plethysmography, and I show you videos of lesbian, same sex, other sex, and then we sit in another room with a one-way mirror and watch what's happening in your interesting bits, and see what turns you on. And you've just filled in everything and said that I am not same-sex attracted. I'm attracted only to women. But we see that you're getting an erection when you watch, you know, lesbian porn or something like that. Does that make you same-sex attracted? Can you see it? It's so complex. But Finally, behavior and identity is a choice. And the research tells us that a person can feel desire and not behave or label. In other words, there is a substantial diversity on individual level between identity and behavior and desire. This is the research. Just because you feel it, not everybody who feels same-sex attraction is choosing to be labeled or to live by it. So what causes it? Is there a gay gene? That one we can say no, there is no gay gene. However, genetic twin studies, not conclusive, molecular genetic research, relatively new, clinical studies, brain structure, maybe hormones, intrauterine, have some role. There's birth cohort studies, like, you know, if there's lots of boys born in a family, then for some people in the womb, there is a kind of an immune response, sort of sensitization. So there are enough research 
to say that for some people, these feelings of desire can be innate. So they stay with me there. The feelings, the desire, the feelings. However, there's research to say that environment and nurture plays a part. There is a relationship, poor parenting, sexual abuse, absent father for boys, these things too have a correlation. As you know, correlation is not necessarily causation. So where do we land? It is likely that there is some biological predisposition in some people that becomes reflected in the desire for same-sex activity. Subsequently, it is experienced and understood and behaved depending on the socio-cultural environment. So we need to understand that a predisposition, that innate feelings are not necessarily a predetermination for behavior. Okay, I'm going to just move on and pull this all together, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the cultural critique because I'm sure all of you have done a lot of this yourself, but we do live in what we would call the post-truth, and this was talked to us earlier in our talks, the post-truth environment where our children are told there is no objective truth. You can just live by whatever you want to choose, find your authentic self, desire-driven world of radical voluntarism, one that says, this is my choice, my life, my body, as I can do whatever I want, I can choose my gender. Somewhere it says there are as many genders in this room as there are people. 1,000 genders, how exciting. It's all about finding my place in this. You know what? Maybe, as we heard earlier, this is a moment for us. Maybe this is the opportunity. Maybe this is the time of God's favor and the year of his salvation. Maybe this, my dear brothers and sisters, is your calling to bring clarity and truth into the minds of children who are confused by social media and peer group and everything that they are being told by culture. What a wonderful challenge and opportunity. And boy, do you look excited about it, <laughs> you know. In a world that says there is, you can, the body is fluid. We say we are created by God to honor God and glorify God with our body. In a world that says there is no truth. We say, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you are my disciples and you will know the truth and that truth will set you free from the cultural expectations. We live in a world that when it says live by your desire, we say, Jesus said, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. The heart is not always dependable in the world that says follow your heart. So, a few quick application tools. I hope you're not feeling like this. The more I think about it, the more confused I get. Managing transgender kids, we've already talked about the referral statistics in UK, how the increase of referrals in children, and we're seeing that in our clinics here too. Children are self-diagnosing and many young children have, there's a correlation between autism spectrum disease and kids who are coming out as transgender. 
<clears throat> and as we talked about, a large number of them will actually accept their biological and pulling back on this because these are really important things, and early social transition and the use of puberty blocking drugs is what causes kids to stay on that way, the persistence. Puberty blocking drugs are dangerous drugs. They are medications, and the body will fight it, and there's a lot of research about the the dangers of using puberty blocking and cross-sex hormones. And they are, being, they are being used to children so easily. Surgery from male to female, female to male is irreversible. And uh, sometimes you hear doctors who are you know, pro-transition saying things like, what's the problem if a girl goes through surgery? She can always get another pair of breasts when she wants it. What are we doing? You know, and the rates of what we call detransitioning is going up. Kids who are getting, especially teenagers, sucked into it and halfway thinking, this is not right. What have I done to myself? And we need to be ready for that too. And we talked about rapid onset gender dysphoria and how we need to be aware that these are often girls with body, and some, many of them are lonely, and suddenly when they say, I'm transgender, they're really popular. Good for you, girl, go for it. Now you're the popular girl in school, and the relationship and immersion in online. Okay, so these are the many aspects that we talked about. So let me just finish by talking a little bit about how we can help our children actually in this gender fluid culture. So be unashamed about talking about being image bearers. So whether you are transgender, same sex, whatever, you are still an image bearer embodied with a good body and Marriage is where man and woman come together and the place and the pattern for sexual activity. That sin distorts our, sin distorts our desires, so we are all fallen people. We all have desires that aren't in keeping with God's best plan for our lives, and sin therefore also distorts our biology. And God's redemptive pattern it's not dependent on our sexuality. We are not defined by our sexuality or our gender. We are defined only in our identity in Christ, and therefore we are free to not conform to the world's values. And because we are known, we know that we are destined for something far better. We can be caring and compassionate, to children who are struggling, to fellow staff members who are struggling, to people in our church who are struggling. We can be compassionate, we can be loving, we can be caring, we can let our schools be that place of refuge for hurting transgender or same-sex attracted or detransitioning children. We can let our churches be the place of refuge for hurting people, not, as I say, six-star refuge for the righteous. And we can make our places the places where people hear the truth. You know, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the greatest need for people who are same-sex attracted or gender 
uh, challenged or anything else is not to have that gender concern or their orientation solved. It is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is our prime, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ and letting everything else be something we help people walk through and walk with. For those of you who love resources, I thought I'll just take a few minutes to just talk about the resources that we have. Teen Sex by the Book is a book that was banned and then removed in public schools. I love being a banned author, apparently. <laughs> In public schools, kids then went to the chaplains or to Christian teachers and say, do you have that banned book? Yes, we got it in the hands of non-Christians. So it's out in third edition over six years because we have to keep up. So it covers gender and porn and a number of issues. Growing Up by the Book is uh, for 10 to 14-year-olds, written in a way that parents and grandparents can read. Birds and Bees by the Book, which is a collection of six books, is the one that is, we are most thrilled about because it's grandparents, parents reading with primary schoolers and it covers gender, porn, sexuality, as well as other issues. Best Sex for Life is for all of you who, after the conference, would like to go home and have some Best Sex for Life. It goes from engagement to the nursing home, where at 72 my hubby and I are planning, and the other two, <laughs> other two are novels that you can pick up on my website, Empire's Children set in Sri Lanka, and Snowy Summer set in Jindabyne and Sri Lanka, like I have so much of time. Right, so I write novels. Got to be crazy. Um, I also have on my PowerPoints the references, so books, really good websites, I would suggest, and a couple of sources that you can follow on Twitter that would be really useful in terms of this issue. And some articles, so this, if for those of you who get the PDF of it, these, all these will be really useful. So I'll stop there. And thank you very much for listening to me. And if you do want to contact me, that is my second name and the year of my birth. And so do feel free to email me if you want any more information. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be with you.